Acts 17, we're going to be introduced to the church of the Thessalonians. And then, after being introduced to them and how Paul came about to them, we're going to go read or look at the first ten verses of his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Get situated here. Acts 17, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 and then follow that with a, a prayer. Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. Now when they had passed through Amphilippus and Apollyanian, I should have looked those up, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, Quote, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest... They let them go. A short prayer. Bow with me. Father, we open up your word to seek your truth, your will, but God, to be helped, to be equipped, to be established in it, to see Christ more clear and our calling more clear. And so we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's make our way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As you turn there, I'll just remind you what we're doing. So we're on week three of uh, a four-week series about church covenant. Our church covenant specifically, and in general, covenant church membership. Um now, when you have your bulletin, you look on the back of it. Some of y'all might be a little crooked today, but that's okay. Um, if you look on the back of it, we have our church bulletin. I mean, I'm sorry, our church covenant. And if you're a current member of Ozark's Bible Church, you have committed to this covenant, to God, and to this body. And if you're in our new members class, which has one more week left... You are considering whether or not Ozark's Bible Church is the church you uh, should covenant with. Uh, and you might have noticed, as I've walked through this, this will be week three, you might have thought or expected that we were going to walk through it word by word, sentence by sentence, element by element, and, and turn over every idea here. But that's not been my goal Instead, my goal has been to take the scripture and convince you of the calling a church has on it based on scripture and what each member of the body of Christ, how they play a part in that calling, how each member of the body takes up and participates, works in building up the body of Christ. And this is seen in general detail through our church covenant, what that looks like. And so the covenant is not the end-all be-all, but is just a pointing to the scripture. There's no authority in our church covenant. None. It just points to the authority in 
the Bible. It's a helpful document that summarizes and reminds us of what the Bible says. Okay? What God's design for the local assembly is and for its members. Now we turn our attention to the third paragraph this week uh, and to pull from it a title out of the third paragraph. It's to advance the kingdom of our Savior. If you recall, last week it was more focused to the advancement of this church. But if you were playing along and following along, you would understand that the advancement of this church, the desire of this body to for the growth, maturity, stability, and unity of this church is ultimately for the kingdom of our Savior, chapter or paragraph 3. Uh, five things we talked about last week out of Ephesians 4. Five things necessary for us to fulfill our calling as a local body. They were uh, grace, leadership, but not just any leadership, leadership by the ministry of the word, a diversity of gifts, love, and truth. And when these four things are present in a local body, then you have a church that is unified, stable, growing, and working. It's Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. So this week we're moving, and so we looked at Paul's letter to Ephesus last week. Now we're looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians this week. And here's the beauty about the New Testament, especially the New Testament epistles, which kids, epistles just means letters. The New Testament letters that the majority are written by Paul, but also Peter, uh, James, John, Jude, they're letters to churches that are in their infancy. They're new churches. And guess what? They don't know what to do. They don't know how to behave. And so the letters that we see in the New Testament are instructions to the New Testament churches on how they are to behave. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, the pastor, one of the elders of the church in Ephesus, this is what he says to him. And I think I read it a, a, day, a Sunday or two ago. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing, write his letter, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now you could chew on that one for a while. That's really good. But we must not forget that reality about our church. That as a local expression of the body of the Christ, we are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And so to help us understand how we ought to behave, we look at like these letters last week to Ephesus, this week to uh, the church at Thessalonica. Each letter... Addressing the same purpose, but from a different perspective, right? So this week, the perspective to the Thessalonians, there's three things that I found in verses 1 through 10 in Paul's introduction to the Thessalonians. Now, we're only going to go to one of them today. My goal was three, but as we were preparing and writing, we're only going to get through one. And so this evening, please come back. We're going to put aside our, and they're going to kind of go hand in hand, our Reformation Revival study. We're going to touch on some of those things also, but we're going to finish the final two this evening. So please come back this evening and we'll conclude this study of the first chapter in Thessalonians. So here are the three things that you can see. Three things to notice about the church of the Thessalonians. Number one, it's divine appointment. Number two, it's transformation. And number three, it's zeal. It's divine appointment, it's transformation, and it's zeal. We will look at transformation and zeal this evening. We'll focus our attention this morning on this divine appointment. The beginning of the church at Thessalonica. That's what we're going to look at. And we read about it, right, in Acts 17. That was it. You got the insight of what that church plant started and looked like. It was really ugly. 
It was really ugly, but at the same time, it was beautiful. When you look at Acts 17, and back here in Thessalonians chapter 1, the starting point, the first stone that was laid for that church was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was it. That's what it had to be, and that's what it always has to be. Paul makes his way into Thessalonica with one thing to tell them. Christ crucified and resurrected. He said, it says it like this in Acts 17. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now notice something there. We could miss it. He says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Did he read to them the letter to Thessalonica? No. He did not read them any New Testament letter or gospel. All he had was the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets. And guess who he found in Moses and the prophets? The death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he went to Thessalonica with that in mind. You see, the gospel is in the Old Testament. Now imagine, how many of you have some sort of uh, reading or seeing glasses? You're farsighted or nearsighted. Just raise your hand. I see who we're dealing with here. Okay, so you've you've ex- most of us has experienced fuzziness, right? So before before Christ and the giving of the Spirit, the gospel in the Old Testament was kind of like that. It was fuzzy. It was there. You could get a glimpse of it. But you just couldn't make out the details. And so when Paul goes in the spirit to Thessalonica, he goes as a uh, optometrist. Right. And he's like, here are your glasses to see the truth of the gospel in the scriptures. Here I want you to see Jesus, this man whom was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. Here are Here's what you need to see it clearly. And he goes, and that thing, that power, aren't real glasses, but it's the gospel preached and proclaimed. See it? It's in the scriptures. Now, how? where did he get that from? Where did any of the apostles get that idea from? From Jesus himself. Because after Jesus' resurrection, you remember what happened on the road to Emmaus? The greatest Bible study ever. And what was it in? Moses and the prophets. And what did Jesus reveal to those weary, saddened, confused disciples? That Jesus must suffer these things and be raised from the dead. He says to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, hear these words. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Luke then comments after Jesus, he quotes Jesus. He says, Jesus beginning with Moses, meaning Genesis to Deuteronomy, right? And all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning them. He showed them the gospel in Genesis to Malachi. He put it before them. He gave them sight to see the death and resurrection from the scriptures. And that is the only place that we get the good news. The scriptures. The only place. So now you've got Paul in Thessalonica doing the same thing Jesus did. Why? Because that's what Jesus taught him to do. Look at verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Now I'll just let you say... Last week, we sort of walked verse by verse through Ephesians 4. This week, we're extracting 
sort of the highlights and the details of what we're looking for in 1 Thessalonians, and so we'll be bouncing, bouncing around this morning and this evening. Paul gets to Thessalonica, and he tells them, you only need one thing from me, and it's right here. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else I have can help you, save you, transform you. Only the gospel holds the power to do what is necessary to create a church. If a church starts on any basis other than the gospel, you might as well just close the doors. The gospel has the power to do what it did in Thessalonica. And it's to convict a group of pagans that this guy who was born and uh, who was raised in Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross, was said to have been raised from the dead, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one who brings eternal life. This message that Paul brought to Thessalonica, convinced by power from on high, that these idle pagan worshipers should turn and follow Jesus. Just because of the gospel that he preached. Only the gospel can convict, transform, and deliver them from the wrath to come. You see the results in verse 9. Look at verse 9. And not, not only do you see the results that happened in Thessalonica, but the news spread fast. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That was the re result of the power of the gospel brought to Thessalonica. Now, Ozarks Bible Church, this is what brought us together. This is what brought you all together some four or five years ago. Uh, it's what must start every church. Other, like I said, otherwise you're just a club or an organization. The gospel is what has bound you together and held you together for this long. And it's the only thing that will keep you. And not only that, the gospel is not the thing that just starts you and binds you and holds you together and keeps you, but it is your mission. It's what you come to do now and in the future because the gospel is what? The power of God for salvation to all who believe. The gospel is the power to those who are being saved. It is that which must be heard the gospel must be heard. Why? Because for faith to burst forth, the only way for faith to truly come is by the hearing of the word of Christ, the gospel. We cannot tamper with it. We must guard it. We must guard this good deposit that was given to us. We must not alter it. We must not do anything by addition or subtraction. We must not soften it or weaken it as we've discussed on Sunday nights the last few weeks. We must not make it palatable for unbelievers. Oh, if we could just change it up a little bit or remove or add so that someone might you know, want to accept it. We must not add our wisdom or our fun or try to make it attractive. That's, that's sort of what we've been talking about. Like I said on Wednesday, on Sunday evenings, uh, a few Sunday evenings ago, we talked about a gospel with no uh, a, a wrathless redemption to remove the wrath from our uh, from the word of God, from the gospel, from our evangelism is to remove uh, the power, the devastation of sin, the justice of God, removing the hard parts to swallow like wrath, judgment against sin. The necessity of the brutal, bloody cross. But I think it was last Sunday night we we looked at not just what we might remove, but adding to the gospel or making it more nice or presentable by talking a lot about mansions and endless life. And, and all those things are true. Ultimately, not forgetting that the gospel is 
the power to reconcile us back to the Creator, to bring us to God. And your sin has separated you from God. And the only thing to bring you to God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Next Sunday night, we're going to look at how we might, uh, in a similar vein, make sure that we present the gospel in the biblical way. Uh, But let me just go forward. Now, I know... Um, I have some unusual pastoral practices or ways or thoughts. Um, I take, you probably recognize, I take certain things very serious. I might make issue about things that seem sort of normal and harmless. And it might have caused you once or twice to say, why does he make such a big deal about such a small thing? You know, it might come up in a, in a sermon or how we do something or at a members meeting. But I hope that what you understand and what I what is always a reality, and I pray it always is a reality, that anything or direction that I lead or guide as your pastor has two purposes. Number one, the glory of Christ. And number two, your soul. Because there's, n- there's no other reason for me to stand up here or to be your pastor. The glory of Jesus Christ. And he, because of that, because of what he is and what he's called me to, he's called me to look after your soul. And so I pray that till the day I die, I take that seriously. And so I might make odd suggestions or might lead us in certain directions and certain issues. I'm going to give you an example. Our church sign, the one that we put the letters in. You might have thought, well, he's kind of picky about what we put up there or what we don't put up there. And I am. Because people drive by this church daily, and they might never talk to us, but they see our church sign. And it represents who we are. It represents what we believe the Bible says. And so... If you drive by a church sign and it says something to the effect of Jesus is your coupon for a free salvation, I hope it makes you as mad as it does me. I hope it turns your stomach because Jesus is way more than a coupon. Jesus is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Alpha And the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the word that upholds all things in this universe. He's not just some ticket to ride. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is our God and our King, our Lord. He is no trivial matter. And we must understand that who we are is represented by what we say and what we do, how we gather, how we pray, what we sing, where we go. Everything we do ought to ought to be grounded in the truth of who God is, what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, what he has done in us and has called us to. And we must not we must not water it down, weaken it. Add it, subtract it, add our fun and our cleverness. We must find ourselves chained to the Word of God in all things. In all things. Because the gospel, the gospel is all we have. It is the beginning, the middle, and the end of every local church and for us, Ozarks Bible Church. It is the beginning, the middle, and the end. And we must regularly, regularly remind ourselves, one another, of that gospel. Right? That's what Paul did to the Corinthians, right? He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, beginning, in which you stand, middle, in which you are being saved, All the way to the end. 
And if you hold fast to the words I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We must remind ourselves of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must not distort it because there are eternal consequences with playing with it. As Paul then told the Galatians, right? What did he tell the Galatians? Flip over with me. Chapter 1. As he writes to the churches of Galatia, verse 6, he says, Everyone look for yourselves. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, meaning him and the apostles, or an angel from the heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed, damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, verse 9. If anyone is preaching to you a contrary go- uh, to the uh, you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. And why would you do such a thing? Well, he tells us in verse 10. For I am now for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God when you distort the gospel of Jesus Christ you do it to make someone happy and it ain't God it's someone but it's not God if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ you cannot do both we must not distort it if you distort it what do you have left You've got worldly foolishness, powerless words, and ultimately a dead church. The gospel is our starting point and our finishing line. Now, that was one of the first aspects of the beginning of the church of Thessalonica, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second aspect we see, go back now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. We see in verse 4 the electing love of God. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now, I was telling the uh, new members class, they were asking about what Bible translation I use. And I typically use the ESV when I read, but I study. I have ESV, KJV, and the NASB. And those three are the most literal translations that you can have of the scriptures. And so I'm going to read to you that those few words from all of those so you can see what is being said here. ESV, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. KJV, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. NASB, knowing, brethren beloved by God, his choice of you. You see, the divine appointment of the church of Thessalonica, of any church... Uh, any church of true believers starts beyond the preaching of the gospel. Do you hear that? The, the true divine appointment of any church starts beyond before the preaching of the gospel. Uh, it, it, it comes and brings new life and conviction and salvation. The starting point is actually God's perfect love and his eternal will that existed before the creation of the universe. Before there ever was a Thessalonica. See, God was not surprised when Paul got to Thessalonica and there were some people who responded to his gospel. He wasn't surprised at all. Do you know why? He sent him. Go back to Acts 16. This is pretty cool. Go back to Acts 16. So we we read of Paul going and taking the gospel into Thessalonica. But let's see how he got there. Acts 16, verse 6. Acts 16, verse 6. And they, so we've got Paul and his crew, uh, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. 
And they went through the region of uh, Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden. Check this out. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? It's God. Okay. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Just FYI, that's still God. Verse 8, so passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, who do you think sends visions to Paul? God. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia. Now, let me just let you know, Thessalonica is a city in Macedonia. Okay? A vision appears to Paul, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, for us Star Trek, Star Wars people, this isn't like him, somebody is wanting to send a message to Paul. This is a vision from God to Paul. A man, and this is someone that's saying, Macedonia needs you, come to us, we need your help. And when Paul had seen the vision, verse 10, immediately we sought to go up into Macedonia, concluding, here's here's Luke's conclusion, who's writing Acts, he's writing out Acts, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. To Thessalonica. And so he does. God sent Paul and his missionary team to Thessalonica, equipped with the gospel to go and to call God's lost sheep unto the shepherd. God was also not surprised by who heard the message and responded in faith and repentance. Oh, no, no, no. According to the eternal purpose of God's will, he foreknew all who would respond to him in Thessalonica, not... Not because he looks down the corridors of time and says, oh yeah, that person, that person, that, they're going to do it. They're, yeah, nope, 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 nope. But, as Romans 8, 29, and 30 declares, he foreknew who would do that in Thessalonica because he had predestined them. And because he had predestined them, he called them. And how did he call them? He sent Paul down to Thessalonica with the gospel to call them by the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. He sent Paul with the only thing that could open their blind eyes, the only thing that would enliven their pagan worship, cold, stony heart, the only thing that would open their ears to bring them to hear the call of their shepherd. He sent Paul, as Acts 16 says, to preach the gospel to them. And because of that predestinating them and that foreknowing them and that calling them, And their response to it, do you know what happened after that? Justification. They were pardoned of their sin. The righteousness of Christ was imputed to them. And in that, they were seen before God as righteous. Pagan, idolatrous worshipers. Seen as righteous before God. And what does our catechism question say that is? But that is an act of God's free grace. An act of God's free grace. So you see back here, we've got to go back to Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Paul is letting the, the church at Thessalonica. you got to remember, this is a letter written by a man to people. And he's not. this isn't just something that came to us and so we know it. This was actual instructions to this church in Thessalonica. And he was declaring to this church in Thessalonica... That they're not a church because they decided one day they were going to forget the gods of the skies. And they're going to try this thing they've heard of from Jerusalem that's kind of doing these weird things. And we'll give it a try. We'll come together. We'll form a club. And we'll see how that goes. 
This might work out for us. No, you don't. God chose them. He chose you. He came to you. Just like He came to the people in Thessalonica. He came to you, Christian, when you were blind. He came to you when you were worshiping pagan gods. You're like, well, I would never done that. Well, He opened your eyes to see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. He revealed to Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonians. Remember Christian from our movie last night? What did he have on his back? A burden. How did he know he had that burden? The Word of God. Only the Word of God can reveal to us the burden of our sin, the need that we have. The truth of God is the only thing that can bring it to us that Understanding that you are burdened by your sin and the only way to rid of it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. And God sent Paul to tell them. They didn't say, I feel kind of heavy today. Why don't we go find that guy that used to talk about the Jews, but now he's a Christian and he talks about this God? No, no, no. They did not know that they needed Paul. They did not know that they were burdened by their sin until God sent Paul. To preach the gospel. God came to Thessalonians. God came to Abraham. God came to Rahab. God came to Nineveh. God came to Thessalonians. God came to you and me. But here's the beauty of it. It's all beautiful. But he came to all of these people because he loved them. I'm sorry, I can't explain this well enough. There's no way I can explain to you the depth, the height, and the breadth and the, of the love of God. But you have to understand that when you are the most unlovable, God loved you. Before God knew how much of a rebel you were going to be, Christian, God loved you. And he tells Israel, you were nothing and had done nothing to deserve my love. But I loved you and called you out to be my people. And the same goes for us today and then the church at Thessalonica and for Ozark's Bible church. God's love towards His saints, his bride is eternal. It's purposed and it's stronger than anything and everything. We read about this this morning as we opened up our hymnals for our call to worship. And we sang about it in our first hymn. Just hear these words. Hear of the electing love of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his mercy and grace. You are the God who saves. So as I'm finishing here, why would Paul write this to them? Why would he tell them, one, how their church came to be through the preaching of the gospel? Why would he want to tell them about this eternal love of God that, that where they were chosen in Christ by God, his elect? Why would he have to say these things? Well, the, 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 it's hidden in verse 5. And it depends. It depends on what translation you have. You might not. You might miss it. With mine, I kind. I kind of miss it. But as I saw it in the in the King James, and then I looked up in the Greek, it really popped out to me. The end of verse five. Well, let's just read verse four and five and see this. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction now that doesn't mean they were fully convinced of their message it means the message fully convinced the thessalonians the kjv says assurance that's the word that's the reason that paul told them what he told them in verse four and five to remind them that tomorrow and the next day and the next day, that they can make it another day in the will of God, being faithful and preserving their souls, not because they decided to come together, not because they decided Jesus was going to be a good idea, but because the gospel came to them through the eternal love and will and purpose of God to save them, to show them their burden, to give them the spirit of God, to give them the power, to draw them together, to be a church, a body of Christ for the sake of the glory of God. And so if you read Second Thessalonians, do you know what you hear about? Affliction, persecution, trials. What do you think they need? Verse 4 and verse 5. They need to be reminded that God came to them. They didn't come to God. That God loved them. They didn't love God. And that the gospel, the word of God, came to them and changed them. And that's what we're going to see tonight. The transformation and the zeal that comes from the power, the love, and the will of the Father to his saints and to his bride, to his church, to the body of Christ. That is what a church is. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to remember that. He wanted them to remember that it will be the love and purpose and power of God that they make it another day as the body of Christ in Thessalonica. And we must not forget that either. We must remember the very same thing. We come together. We were brought together because of God and for God. You come together today. You come today for your sake. You've come for the wrong reasons. You come for God, and guess what? He's so good, you benefit from it. And if we're to continue together in faith and obedience, it will be done and held together by God. Now, unbeliever, you're here. If today you feel that burden of sin on your back and you don't know what to do, there's only one thing to do. And that's to flee to Christ. You must flee now. You must run to Him. And when you flee to Christ, He will remove your burden, your sins will be forgiven, and you will know the love of God through Jesus Christ. Flee to Christ and be saved from the wrath that is to come. Because that's what He says. He says, They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for His Son from heaven who is raised from the dead Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, it is coming. The destruction, the wrath, the justice of God is coming for all sinners. And the only place to find safety is in the bosom of Jesus Christ. And so you must flee to him today and trust in him with all things, with your whole being, and have eternal fellowship with God, your creator. And one last note, church, beloved, as Paul says, beloved, 
by God. We come together by the power of the gospel. Brought, We're brought uh, together by the electing love of God. And so we must remember and consider as our charge from Peter and 2 Peter. And let me read it for you here. Hear these words, church. Therefore, brothers, we all be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, you go about that alone, you will not make it. But you go about it with your fellow brother and sister in Christ. That's the only way to go about it. One church, one body, members one of another. Did you realize that after Christian's burden fell off last night in the movie, he never once was alone? Not once did he find himself without a fellow brother or sister. That's the only way to make it to the celestial city. As a member, one of another, the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we look to you for all things. I ask that you would burden hearts now to see their sin and to see the sacrificial love of the cross of Christ, to know the, the need for sinners to flee to him. Lord, and show your church, your beloved, that you hold them together by everything that you are and that you have called us to be the body of Christ. Unified for his glory, for the advancement of his kingdom. We ask this in his name. Amen. Now let's grab our hymnals and turn one last time to number 388. He will hold me fast. 388. Let's stand and sing. He will hold me fast. that you have not until today fleed to Christ unto salvation. You come and talk to me anytime, anywhere. Yeah. 
bed and die. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him till endless standing and let me give the benediction and we will leave this morning carried out by the word of God Romans from Romans 11 oh the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Have a blessed day. See you tonight.